welcome back to St. James Story, and um, welcome to, um, I'm Lydia, and, um, this is my daddy, Matthew. Hi, guys. And, and, well, welcome back to Jordan McDonald, the Princess and the Goblin, chapter 26, wow. Yeah, we're deep into it now, chapter 26. The Goblin Miners. Daddy, didn't you say it was, didn't you say it was the princess and Batman? I was joking. I did say that before we started recording. I was being silly. Everything's better with Batman is the theory I was operating on. Okay. (laughs) Or everything's funnier with Batman. Chapter 26, The Goblin Miners. That same night, several of the servants were having a chat together before going to bed. "'What can that noise be?' said one of the housemaids, who had been listening for a moment or two. "'I've heard it the last two nights,' said the cook. "'If there were any about the place, I should have taken it for rats, but my tongue keeps them far enough.' Have I just turned her into J.F. Cat? Yes. Sorry about that. I apologize to everyone, including the including George MacDonald and the maid. I've heard, though, said the scullery maid, that rats move about in great company sometimes. There may be an army of them invading us. I've heard the noises yesterday and today, too. It'll be grand fun, then, for my Tom and Mrs. Housekeeper's Bob, said the cook. They'll be friends for once in their lives and fight on the same side. I'll engage Tom and Bob together. We'll put to flight any number of rats. It seems to me, said the nurse, that the noises are much too loud for that. I have heard them all day, and my princess has asked me several times what they could be. Sometimes they sound like distant thunder, and sometimes like the noises you hear in the mountain from those horrid miners underneath. I shouldn't wonder, said the cook. Man, I really want her to be JF Cat. I'm so sorry, everybody. Yeah, maybe because um, we both like JF Cat. Well, it's true. Yeah, I think it's because I didn't realize there are a lot of minor characters popping up all of a sudden that I needed to invent names for, so I'm just kind of going to what's familiar. I shouldn't wonder said the cook. If it was the miners, after all, they may have come on some hole in the mountain through which the noises reached us. Okay, so we kind of turned her into the princess. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I tried to give the princess a much more dignified little voice. Can I hear the princess's voice again? Yes, of course you can. Okay. <laughs> it's a little bit different. Yeah, that's what I said. Honestly, it sounds like I'm trying to do an imitation of Shutterfly now that I hear it. Oh, my gosh. I'm not a voice actor. I'm a daddy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And you, um, but you are a librarian. I yes. Mean, you used to be. Am and will be again. Yeah. Yeah. Well... They may have come, mm, 
They may have come on some hole in the mountain through which the noises reach to us. They're always boring and blasting and breaking, you know. Oh, that's, yeah, I know, it's getting extreme. Oh, that's a boy. The cook is a boy. <laughs> As he spoke, <laughs> there came a great rolling rumble beneath them and the house quivered. They all started up in a fright and rushing to the hall found the gentleman-at-arms in consternation also. They had sent to wake their captain who said from their description that it must have been an earthquake, an occurrence which, although very rare in that country, had taken place almost within a century, and then went to bed again, strange to say, and fell fast asleep without once thinking of Curdie, or associating the noises they had heard with what he had told them. He had not believed Curdie. If he had, he would have at once thought of what he had said, and would have taken precautions. As they heard nothing more, they concluded that Sir Walter was right, and that the danger was over for perhaps another hundred years. The fact, as discovered afterwards, was that the goblins had, in working up a second sloping face of stone, arrived at a huge block which lay under the cellars of the house within the line of the foundations. It was so round that when they succeeded, after hard work in dislodging it without blasting, it rolled thundering down the slope with a bounding, jarring roll, which shook the foundations of the house. The goblins were themselves dismayed at the noise, for they knew by careful spying and measuring that they must now be very near, if not under the king's house, and they feared giving an alarm. They therefore remained quiet for a while, and when they began to work again, they no doubt thought themselves very fortunate in coming upon a vein of sand which filled a winding fissure in the rock on which the house was built. By scooping this away, they came out in the king's wine cellar. Wine cellar? What's that? Well, you know, we have a cellar on our house, right? Right. So a wine cellar is like that. It's a little, it's an underground room that's used to store wine. It's kind of a rich person thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like this pillow. Pillows just like to eat you, dear. I can't help you. Oh, she won. The battle between girl and pillow. No one knows who will win. It's the pillow. It's the pillow. Okay. Sorry. I didn't. That was the pillow, too. No, it was you. That's okay. I confess. Are you going to arrest me? She's nodding yes, so... Good night, everyone. <laughs> I can't stop a voice. Okay. No sooner did they find where they were than they scurried back again like rats into their holes and running at full speed to the Goblin Palace announced their success to the King and Queen with shouts of triumph. In a moment, the Goblin Royal family and the whole Goblin people were on their way in hot haste to the King's house each eager to have a share in the glory of carrying off that same night the Princess Irene. The queen went stumping along in one shoe of stone and one of skin. This could not have been pleasant, and my readers may wonder that, with such skillful workmen about her, she had not yet replaced the shoe carried off by Curdie. As the king, however, had more than one ground of objection to her stone shoes, 
he had no doubt taken advantage of the discovery of her toes and threatened to expose her deformity if she had made another. I presume he insisted on her being content with skin shoes and allowed her to wear the remaining granite one on the present occasion only because she was going out to war. Look at my toes. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That's not. <laughs> I just have one, two, three, four, five. She's got me there, folks. You were counting air when you said six <laughs> and seven. What about eight, though? Air. Eight is also air. Mm -hmm. Wow. Snippy, snippy, <laughs> and now her toes are scissors and she's trying to chop her finger off. It's interesting to have a five-year-old in your house. Count my fingers. One, two, three, four, five, six, <laughs> six. No. Six and seven were just air. <laughs> okay. Mm. They soon arrived in the king's wine cellar, and regardless of its huge vessels, of which they did not know the use, proceeded at once, but as quietly as they could, to force the door that led upwards. And this has been a very silly edition of Sleepy Time Stories. Wow, that was kind of short. It was a short chapter. Chapter 26 of... George MacDonald's The Princess and the Goblin. Why repeat me? I was just summing up, dear. I'm sorry that made you mad. She's not sick anymore, I don't think anymore, but I think she's still crabby. Or at least about to... Well, about to smite me. Based on the look she's giving me. So I'm gonna say goodnight before my daughter starts mauling me like a wild beast. A goblin beast. A tickle beast. Hey, hey, hey don't tickle me. Good night. <laughs>